Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and I'll be your host for this television series. The Upper Marion Government Access Television and the Historical Society are continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of Upper Marion Township to tell us about that history. This edition features Bill Ross, who was born and raised in the King of Prussia area. This time, Bill talks about his early childhood experiences in the 1920s and 30s, his World War II Army service, his return home to raise a family and serve as a township supervisor. Let's sit back and relax as we listen to Bill Ross, Remember When. Hi, Bill. Hi. Thanks for coming to see us today. Appreciate you coming and stopping by. My Carl says, my pleasure. What we'd like to do today is sort of talk about your remembrances of uh, King of Prussia and your and your youth, uh, starting out with your youth. A few um, years back. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, uh, what year were you born, Bill? I was born in 1922, May the 27th, yeah. 1922. Were you born at home or in the hospital? I was or? born at home, mm -hmm. in the farmhouse, in a row, row house, which was considered part of the farm. Yeah. Where was and this? It was right there in Upper Marion Township, down below, I guess you'd call it, you know, where Ross Road is now? Yes. Down over the over the back there was a, was a road called uh, Burrow Line. It went up uh, and came down from King Manor, and uh, then it cut across into Bridgeport. Yeah, well, Burrow Line's and, still there. You can still, still there, but this this was a different road. This was a road that went into uh, went into Hebreville in that direction. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a, a row of uh, three homes there. My mother, who was widowed at the time, mm -hmm. and my uh, two uncles owned the other two houses. Okay. That's where I was born. All right. When you say Hebnerville, where, where, what was Hebnerville? Hebnerville? Yeah. Doctor, some guy almost lost an election once by not knowing where Hebnerville was. <laughs> <laughs> you know where the, where the old Biffer homestead was? Below there, you know, where Myers Road mm -hmm. is, down be, below there. Okay. And they, they wiped it out when they took the, uh, when they came through and put the, uh, the Danahauer Bridge. Hebrew right. was now history. I see. But I can remember run, a man running for supervisor once didn't know where it was, and they nailed him. For, <laughs> <laughs> they nailed him on that. Okay. Uh, they, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. Uh, tell us a little bit about your parents. My parents, of course, were uh, immigrant Italians from Abruzzi. I was born Guglielmo Francisco Rossi, and through the years it got anglicized. My father's name got anglicized by the through the efforts of one Dr. Ide, who was a good friend of his, and he felt as though, since my father wasn't getting enough business, he was in the business of cleaning out septic tanks and privy tanks and cesspools and what have you, and he complained to Dr. Ide that he wasn't getting enough business. So Dr. Ide had a solution to that. Next time they went to play the mandolin together, he told my father, he said, you look on the counter, there's something for you, Frank, before you leave, I want you to take it with you. He said, all right. So as he's getting ready to go, he picked up the package. He said, "Open it up." So he opened it. Had on there, Frank A. Ross, oldless excavating. He said, "Doctor, this is my not my name." He said, "You got it spelled wrong." He said, "Yes, it is from now on." You know, just yeah, he, just to imply that in those days there was that certain amount of bigotry that uh, that he felt as right. though he had the doctor I right. felt as though he had overcome, right. and and it must have worked because. Business picked up, improved, okay. <laughs> so then, through the years, my name also got anglicized uh -huh. because I'm a full-blooded Italian, both mother and father, from a Brittany, okay. like I say. And uh, in fact, I can tell you this: that uh, I, I served as a year, uh, as two years, as the president of the L.A.M. Valley Forge Lodge, 1776, mm -hmm. which is a Sons of Italy lodge locally here in Norristown, Bridgeport, King of Prussia area. Uh, and that's about it. Now, now, my early days, I can remember, uh, my God, uh, they, they had some rough times because my father was, uh, was in the business of excavating. Right. My father and my two uncles, my uncle Rocco Rossi and my uncle Pasco Collins, who, which was, who was really Caliente. And they used to go to Norstown with scoops and horses and excavate all the big buildings that you see in Norstown today. The, Penn Trust and the Continental Bank, I don't know what it's called today. But in any event, uh, that's what they had to do. But in order to, in order to get home in time before it got dark, they would have to get across the bridge and get over into uh, to King of Prussia where the farm was. 
this cold winter night, it was January 23rd, 1923, they came in and they had a, they put the horses under the entryway, what we call the entryway, and there was a great big fissure in the wall of the, of the, of the barn, which they had planned on getting fixed the following Monday. That was January 23rd, or something like whatever the following Monday would be, January the 26th or something like that. They were going to have it fixed. And sure enough, the wall come down, killed my father, killed the hired hand, and killed a cousin of mine. She, he was only 37 years old. My mother was 34. She remained a widow all her life, the rest of her life. She raised six of us. And I marvel at some of the things that she did. She was just unbelievable. Uh, she used to take, during the Depression years, uh, she never went on welfare, never had to go on welfare, and she raised the six of us and she used to take uh, bowels of, or rather bags of flour, 100 pound bags of flour. Mm -hmm. She would uh, use up the flour to do the cooking and bake the bread, and then convert those bags into uh, uh, cloths, launder them, and bleach them, and make pillow sheets out of them, mm -hmm. and or make, sew them together and make uh, bed sheets out of them. Then she'd tie the ends of the bed sheets and we would take corn husks and stuff the, the sheets, mm -hmm. and that's, that was our mattresses. Okay. So you see, she had a way of, yeah, getting, of getting above it. We, had, we always had a little bit of, uh, we always had a little bit of something going. She always, she was, she was always had uh, the way of making a few bucks. Yeah. We would, uh, we had a, a head of cattle, one, one head of cattle, just one, and we would milk the cows, take the milk, convert it to cheese, go in town, and sell the cheese. And that, that made... When you said in town, where was it in town? Bridgeport. Bridgeport was considered in town. In those days, the uh, king of Prussia was what? It was just a, a dot on the map. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't the metropolis today, right? Uh, you know, we, she was just a little girl, uh, I guess, when she when she came over, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, when I say little girl, she was like in her teens, right. and she never had to wash a dish because she came from an affluent family, and, and until she came over here, and like I said before, and this is how she she got introduced to the real world. Right. Okay, now she was uh, she was a Santoro. My mother was. Uh, uh, a Santor before she became a Rossi, mm -hmm. and her father was a, a tax collector over in Italy, I believe I told you that. Now, uh, I guess uh, the, the tough times existed for maybe all during the Depression. Yeah. Can you just go back for a second. How many brothers and sisters did you I, have? I beg your pardon. We had uh, six total. Mm -hmm. Myself, uh, three brothers, one of which died at an early age at 13, and then two sisters, mm -hmm. and then another little sister who died at the age of t uh, two. So there really, I guess, were really seven of us. Seven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And what did what did uh, the what did they do in terms of uh, the they work on farms? Uh? Well, the the uh, one sister worked with uh, with the local uh, industry, like mm -hmm. Sumrall Tubing. I guess that means nothing to you. Do you remember no. Sumrall Tubing? They were right there in Bridgeport. The other sister worked for a laundry in Philadelphia. She used to take the P&W from Bridgeport to Philadelphia and to make a few bucks to, uh, to help with the family. My brother Leo was an electrician mm -hmm. uh, with Bethlehem Steel. Mm -hmm. And my brother Albert was a, uh, worked for uh, the cement plant in West Conshohocken. Uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it either. Yeah, the one right there on River Road. River Road, right. Uh, I, I remember where the plant he was. For, I don't he, worked think for, there. he worked for that for many, many years. And of course, uh, in addition to that, we're all you know, very happy family. We're all getting along there. And my mother used to take, uh, she couldn't afford to buy soap. Mm -hmm. So what she used to do is take pig's lard. Mm -hmm. We'd butcher the pigs. It was, it was traditional every New Year's Day. We would assemble at my uncle's house, Pasco College, and we would butcher the hogs, and he would have four or five, we'd have two, maybe three. My other uncle Rocco would have maybe five or six, and we would all assemble at, at my uncle Pasco's, and we would butcher the hogs, and then assemble in his basement and have a big feast. The, the women would go in and 
take part of half of the hogs and immediately start making sausage or, or pork chops, and we would, I, to this day, I can almost taste it. <laughs> Most vivid in my mind are those happy days that, that we spent in Upper Marion schools. They were the days when, when you would ride the buses, and, and, and I can remember, uh, may, may their souls rest in peace. Oh, old lovable Walter Herzog from Sweden, who's uh -huh. now chewed, chewed, I don't know if you remember him. He lived right up till about maybe 15, 20 years ago. And he had always had that chewed tobacco, and he would chew it while he was driving the bus. And you dare to get out of line with him, boy. <laughs> and then later on, it was Ben Mullen, who uh -huh. his, his people had those houses right there on uh, Allendale Road, or uh -huh. the two houses yeah, sure, are still sure. there. Okay, and then after that, when I got to be in high school, it was Tony Bananas, we used to call him, Tony Bananas Del Angelo. And he was, he was a lovable guy, too. Everybody loved Tony. Yeah. And they tell a funny story about once we had a comedian in the, in the town here, by the name of George Chindy. I don't know if you know him, George yeah. Chindere. And he used to drive for Toes, Toes Trucking. Okay. So he's driving uh, his truck, and along comes the school bus with, uh, with uh, Palmieri, a guy by the name of Palmieri, driving the bus. This was before Delangelo's time. And he stops in the middle of the, of the uh, Martin's Dam Bridge. Right. And he said to, uh, he said to uh, uh, Palmieri, who uh, was, uh, was on the, on the uh, bus, and, uh, and uh, George was driving the truck for toes. And he stopped in the middle, and, and Palmer said, get out of the way, i got to get these kids to school. No, he said, not until you get in the middle of that street and kiss my toes, he said. <laughs> and now today, you couldn't do that. The bus wouldn't be on time, right? So he had to get out of the bus, get out of the truck, and go down and piss his toes before he could get by. That's, there's, there's some of the stories. Uh, I can think of the days the... Uh, Athletic events uh -huh. when the big rivalry was Bridgeport. Yeah, when going back for a second, where did you, where did you go to elementary school? Elementary school, I went to start off in Sweden mm -hmm. in a Quonset hut that they had set up temporarily because they didn't have room for the first graders, if I remember that year. Okay. And they this, had a pot belly stove. This and, was in the late 1920s, then. In the late 20s, I, I guess it would be around well when I was six or seven years old. Died. Mm -hmm. 1928, 29, something right. like that. Mm -hmm. Then I graduated to second grade and third grade, first, second, third, mm -hmm. at uh, Sweden. Mm -hmm. And from there, we went to fourth grade up at uh, Port Kennedy, right? It used to be the Valley Forge Day School right. later on. Right. Uh, George Beck and myself, people like that, were, right. were put in that class. Right. George and I used to collect the, the tops out of the milk bottles. Uh -huh. We had a uh, competition as to who could collect the most. One day we had a we had a range where one day he would get it, the next day I would get it, and it never failed. On my day, I'd have less tops, and I could never figure it out until one day I caught him. George was getting into my bag of, of tops, so so I worked out a deal with him. So what the what what were some of your activities when you were in elementary school? Well, you'd come home from school. Come home from school, you had to do your homework, and you had to. Of course, my job was to take care of some of the farm chores, mm -hmm. the chickens, go get the eggs, clean the chicken coops, uh, milk one cow is all we had was one cow, and I used to hate that job. <laughs> I used to hate it. But, uh, but it worked out. We, yeah. got, we had fresh milk yeah. all the time. And uh, we had uh, Dr. Steinbeck. I don't know if you remember him. No. He, was, he ended up being a tax collector in Norristown, Bill Steinbeck. And he got very endeared to our family because my father was his first customer when we got out of veterinarian school. Mm -hmm. And he never, thereafter, never charged my mother for any time he came out to right. tend to, to any one of our animals, right. cows or what have you. And all he would take would be like a, some kind of like a basket of fruit or something right. like that, or uh -huh. tomatoes or right. something like that. But uh, he used to tell the story about how, uh, how uh, one time we had a, uh, I, I was raising some rabbits, and I had about 15 or 20 of them. And one night, one morning, rather, I got up, and, uh, and, my, and I said to my mother, what's all that white paper down in the field? She said, it's not white paper. Go take another look. She knew what it was. The weasels had gotten into my rabbits. Oh. 
and killed about 15 of them. Oh. All right, so, so getting back to Dr. Steinbeck, he, I was crying, I was all upset. And, and he come up and he had a solution to all of this. He said, don't worry about it, kid. He said, you're gonna get paid for those rabbits. So he somehow got reimbursement from the state or something where I got myself a check. I forget what it was, 35 or $40. Man, I was rich <laughs> for the loss of those rabbits. Yes. And, and I'll never forget that. that. We used to, many mornings before we could have our breakfast, we'd have to go down to the chicken coop mm -hmm. and get the eggs nice. and bring them up. Yeah. How, first, how large was the farm that you were on at that time? We were only on, at that time, we had subdivided. We had, they had sold most of the property off to Bethlehem Steel. My two uncles and my, mm -hmm. my widowed mother had sold off to Bethlehem Steel, but we ended up with four acres. So it was a very small plot of ground, but just enough that we could grow some corn, grow some tomatoes, grow mm -hmm. some, you know, all the vegetables that we needed. Uh, and that, that was it there. Did, uh, did, did your mother uh, uh, can the vegetables and, and so yeah. They used to take the tomatoes and uh, and make their own tomato sauce, you know, right. and uh, put it through the grinder and make it come out and, and boil it and put it in the in the jars and you know yeah. typical way. You, and then also uh, fruit. I can remember pears. We used to pan, uh, can pears in in the mason jars. You know, right. I say can, but right. are uh, those and that. I always loved to eat it that way because it was, uh, it was sweet. I have a right. sweet tooth to start with. Yeah. Um, I can remember also during school days, the, uh, some of the teachers, some of the great teachers who molded your life, George Santora, for instance, who was a, was a, a wrestling coach. I played football under Dr. Under, um, Lockie Reinhardt, and I played, uh, and I wrestled with Dr. Uh, with, um, George Santoro, and I can remember him uh, as though it were yesterday. How when when we started to uh, mold the township, and we sat together, me and him, and about fifteen others down here on the old uh, the old Stuart Fund Hall, mm -hmm. which was later on the township building. I'm sure you remember the old township yeah. building, yeah. and that's where we sat together and formed the the the, the formation of the planning stages for what's now the King of Rush Fire Company. And in the last couple of days, I've been thinking of those guys and how proud I am of them, of, of the type of work they do. Not, not, not immediately now, but with what these guys are doing in New York and, yeah. and what, they, what these guys do in King of Prussia. They put their life on the line and we just sort of take it for granted. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's right. something that has to be done. Right. And, uh, and George was the first elected president of that company and I'm proud to say I was the first elected vice president. And even though I was an active fireman, I did my best in the early days to help raise funds. And right. then and about that time, I was uh, involved in, in buying a business up in Lansdale. I owned my paint, owned paint and wall covering store. Mm -hmm. So I got away from the scene and didn't spend yeah. too much time yeah. around King of Prussia. Yeah. Well, let's go back to junior high school years and things like that. Um, would uh, would uh, would be the equivalent, say, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, something of that. Year. But uh, where did you go to school at that point? All right, at that point, then I come back to what used to be the senior high on, which is now the Marion Building. Right. Seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, right on through twelfth. I, I spent I there. I see. And uh, Doctor Strine, or rather, uh, Bob Strine was the principal. Mm -hmm. Doctor Cochran was the uh, was the uh, superintendent of school. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a class of 41. You graduated in 41, okay. They were the war years. What happened? Well, of course, yeah. Then I, then I worked for a year mm -hmm. down here at Bethlehem Steel. The Bethlehem Steel. Uh, what the was quarry. the Yeah, that, uh, the location when you say the quarry, you're talking about? The one down here that's now uh, the water company has right. it. Right off of 202 Right off of 202, yeah. in King, in near King Manor. Right. In that Great area. big hole. Oh, right. I worked there for a year. Uh -huh. What did you do there? Well, I started off, uh, I knew I was going to go to college. I knew I was going to go to Penn State, but I had to work a year to make enough money to go to school. Mm -hmm. And I started off uh, doing, helping out the well drillers, uh, even spent a little bit of time down the hole with uh, jackhammers and what have you. Yeah. And then Ray Weicker, who, who ended up being president of the same Lions Club I'm talking about later on, he came to me, he said, I don't know what you're doing that kind of work. He said, I'll give you a good job. So he gave me a job up in the laboratory. And we used to take the, uh, 
this the limestone right. and and brew it up with uh, with uh, uric acid mm -hmm. so that all the limestone washed away and right. nothing would be left but the silicone right. and and silicon and, and, and limestone is not good so right. we had a we had to measure the amount of silicone that was in the silica I should right. say silica. it was in it was in the, the graduated cylinder and then we'd have to report and uh, we had to, you know I was just a young kid I was in my what, early 20s and, and we had the power to tell the, the shovels to move. And boy, those guys used to get mad at me because they were, and I had orders, hey, when you see the, the silica getting too high, move move the shovels. So that's what I used to yeah, do. You were, you were considered concerned about- technician. You were, you were concerned about uh, lung disease with the silica. Well, it wasn't so much that in those days. It was they, the, the, the silica, silica had a, a, an adverse effect on the, the, the flux when they sent it up to, when mm -hmm. they sent the limestone up to right. Sparrow's Point or wherever they were sending it to turn it into, to use it as a, as a flux for steel. I see. Oh, that, I see. Was a, that was the reason why we had to test it. Okay. But that was. They, were, they weren't thinking so much of health issues at that time, no, but, no, uh, no. but more issues of uh, just production. That's uh, right. As production. far as the, Production because the, the the of course everything was starting to the the war was uh, in, in starting to come right. on us and we were and then I went away to school and went up to Penn State for a year mm -hmm. and then uh, how many years did you spend at Penn State I spent one year at Penn State mm -hmm. then I uh, either had to get drafted or, or or enlist so I figured oh boy I'll I spent a year in, up there in ROTC two semesters right. in ROTC so I figured I better enlist because if I get drafted I'll get the the, the bad jobs, <laughs> but uh, so it turned out that it didn't work that way. The war was raging, and all they were looking for was bodies. Right. So I went went down to took my my training in chemical warfare down at down at Camp Cybert, Alabama, and then from there I uh, I went to uh, from chemical warfare. I went to uh, the infantry. I was in the infantry training in Camp Shelby. When that's they, in Mississippi, in Mississippi, and they, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and they had a program where they, uh, where they were taking people, young students, anybody's had a little bit of uh, college training, right. and sending them away to, in the ASTP program they called it, a specialized training program, where presumably they were going to make engineers out of us in a couple of years because right. the war was raging over there, and I guess they, I went up there for three months. And uh, they disbanded the program and sent me back to Camp Shelby. From there, I went overseas. Yeah, what, uh, what, uh, were you an enlisted officer or what? No, I was an enlisted man all through the war. Right. Because I never went to OCS. After mm -hmm. I did get down there, I chose to go to this ASTP program. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went overseas in the infantry, spent, uh, spent about three and a half years overseas. Mm -hmm. was in three major campaigns. Which were they? The Ardennes, which is commonly known as the Battle the of Bulge, Bulge right. uh, Central Europe, and uh, the and um, the Rhineland, Rhineland. three mm -hmm. campaigns. And you were serving in the infantry at that point? Serving the infantry the whole right. time. Right. I see you have your com combat infantry yes, badge yes. on. Right? Right. Yeah, and uh, very fortunate, very fortunate. I never got a scratch. Platoon sergeant was killed, but I never got a scratch. Yeah. We were very fortunate that we got in on a on the tail end of it. We didn't get in on the brunt of it. Right. We, were, we, were, we, were, we were in harm's way, but we were never ever really, ex with the yeah. exception of my losing my platoon sergeant and a couple others, yeah. we were never really, even though we were in the, in the thrust of it, we were surrounded like everybody else. We come out of it with yeah. very few casualties. Yeah, you're very fortunate. The Battle we were, of the Bulge was... Uh, that's right. Uh, was, I consider uh, myself was, very fortunate. It was pretty hard. But. Uh, well, then uh, you got out of the Army in what year? Got out of the Army, I guess, would be 1946. Yeah. So what did you do then? Then I went back to school, up to mm -hmm. Penn State, mm -hmm. and I worked my way through the rest of the three years by waiting on tables, mm -hmm. washing dishes, started off as a dishwasher, and then I graduated to waiting on tables. tables. And, uh, and you didn't work for money, you yeah. worked for your meals. Yeah. What, uh, what, kind of, uh, what, did you, what degree did you come out with? I came out with a degree in science, as they called it, but I, I started out as a pre-med. Right. Then when I went away to war and came back, mm -hmm. my chance of getting into medical school were once in a, one in a million, so I figured I'd just take all the scientific course I could take. Right. And it, it fared me well later, and later on I ended up as a lab technician with 
James Lees, and spent two years with them. Mm-hmm. And from there, I had the stepping stone to my business. I bought James, a business. James Lee was, was... It was the carpet and woolen mm-hmm. mills down here in Bridgeport. Right. You know, or Minner Candy, yes. where that access is, mm-hmm. that complex is. Right. That was where I worked there for a couple of years. Uh-huh. Then from there, I went, somehow got sidetracked into, go, into getting into the paint business by joining a friend of mine who owned a chain of paints, a couple of paint stores. Right. And from there, I ended up buying my own business up in Lansdale. You're married. Married. Right. Got a wife, six mm-hmm. children. You know, he said, let's go back and talk about it. Where did you meet your wife? I met my wife in uh, West, well, she was from West Country, Hawkins. Mm-hmm. I met her at a, uh, she was widowed. She had three children, Karen, Gary, and Billy. Mm-hmm. How old were you at this time? I was, uh, at that time, I was like maybe in my early 30s. Oh. When we got married, I was 34 when we got married. Yeah, yeah you were older. Yeah, then we had three more children mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tease them all the time. I'm the only failure in the whole family. My, mm-hmm. I got two daughters who are executive secretaries. I got one that owns a delicatessen. I got one that works for a decorator. And I get the two boys. Billy's a captain with American Airlines. Mm-hmm. And Gary uh, was married to Bill Whitmore's daughter. Uh-huh. Linda Whitmore, right, and of course we lost Linda, yeah. 42 years old, yeah. unfortunately. And uh, Gary was in the Secret Service, uh-huh. and uh, and he uh, he was in that same building that uh, that just went down. Then, he was in the tower, tower one. He was in the 62nd floor, floor or something like that. The World Trade Center. World Trade Center. Yeah. Yep. But. Uh, well, during those, uh, what was it, you were with uh, James Lee for six, seven years? No, I was only with them, believe it or not, I was only with them uh, two years. Two years. Two years. Right. And, and uh, just long enough to, to we build a, uh, they, they hired me fresh out of school because they wanted me to help them set up a pilot plant. Mm-hmm. To, to, and I, you know, I didn't have enough. Uh, of, of the technical knowledge to set it up myself. It was set up by a, by a consulting engineering firm up in Boston, Colburn Engineering, something like that. And then what we used to do is take the, the state was on their back to clean up the, the effluent from the scouring mills that we right. were dumping into the river. And it was our job to set up this pilot plant with a, a great big uh, tanks, I guess, about the size of this room where they filled with stone. They seeded it with uh, stones that they got out of, uh, out of uh, septic plants mm-hmm. elsewhere that the, and the organisms would chew up the, presumably, and clean mm-hmm. up the effluent. It was working pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, but I only lasted the two years there because I, at that point, I, uh, I wanted, I, I was very, uh, very impetuous and young and I wanted my name on all the reports and my boss won't let me put my name on the reports. So I quit him, <laughs> just like that. I wasn't married, I was single at the time. I hadn't been, I didn't meet my, I didn't marry my wife until later. And uh, I ended up going to visit a friend of mine who owned a chain of pacers. He had, well, he had two at that time. Right. And I had no idea what I was gonna do. I figured, what am I gonna do? So I consented to joining him for a year or so, you know? Right. A year strung out to about 10 years, and then from there I bought my own business. Well, what did you do in the paint business? Paint business, sales, mostly yeah. sales. Mostly sales. Yeah. And who did you sell to? Well, it, we had a lot of industrial accounts and uh, painting contractors, you know. Locally? Well, a lot of locals, yeah. yeah. Philadelphia, a lot of the big shops in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I used to get in, in a car and go down there and solicit their trade and You'd be lucky if you walked down there and got an order for 10, 20 gallons. Boy, that was a big order. Uh-huh. Come home. A lot of days I'd sell a lot of brushes. Brushes sometimes were, were as much expensive as the uh, pure China bristle brushes. Right. Were as expensive as the, uh, as the paint. Uh-huh. This is before, before the age of rollers? That's right. <laughs> really, I saw rollers come in, yeah. believe it or not. I hate this. I date myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you do for entertainment and so on when you're in those in those years right after the war? Well, it was a lot of dances. We'd right. go to dances uh, over at Holy Savers up in over in Bridgeport and uh, or rather in Norristown. We used to go to LAM, yeah. LAM itself, where they where they had a big hall up above. Now today it's a some kind of a, a business and. Uh, I guess Our Lady of Mount Carmel, they had, before they built the school, 
that was used as a dance hall, and that's how they kept youth uh, entertained. So right. we didn't have to go out in the streets and get into trouble. Okay. Some of yeah. <clears throat> well, how'd you get around? What'd you, uh, what'd you drive? Most of the times we walked. Most of the times we walked. Or I guess in, in, in the early 40s, there would always be somebody around who had a car, you know. Right. But I never owned my own car until I, until I went away to school. I see. 35 Chevy. 35 Bought Chevy. Bought it for $125. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How long did that last? It was black. Well, I took it up to Penn State with me. Yeah. And, uh, and it was black, but it would, it would get dull. And I'd go down to, to Dobbs Hardware, and I'd buy asphaltum, which is a black asphalt paint. Later on, I ended up selling that same kind of paint. Every time I sold a gallon, I'd shake my head. <laughs> and I'd take uh, and brush that onto this 36 Chevy. Boy, it would shine. What's around here is shiny black. <laughs> it would really shine. Well, like your shoes. <laughs> and, uh, and then in about six months, it would dull right down. I'd go down to, <laughs> down to Dobbs again and buy another, another quarter. Where in those days, they sold it by the quarts. Today, today, they only sell it by the gallons. I can remember when I first joined the Lions Club, George Santoro sponsored me. Yeah, what year was this again? That would be 1951. Mm -hmm. I'm now serving my 50th year at the Lions. Yeah. We used to meet up at Peacock Inn. Right. Back in the days, believe it or not, when when the, the Peacock was still there, uh -huh. we'd sit on the uh, on the deck there, I guess you'd call it, I don't know what you'd call it, a deck or a, a veranda or whatever it is. And, uh, and the peacocks would be floating around the outside of it, uh, and we, we'd be served right on top of this uh, this patio, whatever you call it. Right. And, and we had quite a few members. And from there, we were down to Friendship Grill, which is now Anthony's, uh -huh. and we had 90 members. That's how I hey, got... Friendship uh, Grill was, was located in Bridgeport. Bridgeport, yeah. Right. And, uh, of course, about those days is when I got involved in politics. Mm -hmm. And I was provoked into getting into politics. Well, tell us about that. How did yeah, you get by, provoked? By George Beck. Old <laughs> <laughs> George. He and I were classmates, but we always remained friends right to the end. So I, uh, I went to a township meeting. There was a little dispute about a road, and, and I was involved in that a little bit. I tried to get my two cents in, and I raised my hand. He said, all right. He said, here comes Willie Ross now. He's going to make a political speech. <laughs> I figured, boy, what do you mean by that? So... I got up and I was gritting my teeth because the rumor was out that I was going to run for supervisor, see? But I hadn't made up my mind what I was going to do. <coughs> Excuse me. So I go up and I, I said my piece. And then about two weeks later, it was time to select a candidate for okay. supervisor. It wasn't, wasn't going to be me, but I'll tell you how it came about. My brother was the committee man for Upper Marion Upper two, we called it. Everything from Sweetland and Swedesburg was lower, Upper Marion lower one, and Upper Marion two was all of the rest of Upper Marion. And Leo was the Democratic committee man. So he said, I said to him, I said, I like, he said to me, why don't you get involved in politics? He said, you know, you're a college graduate and all that. So I said, all right, I said, under one condition. He said, what's that? He said, I said, I've been watching you guys struggle with trying to pick a candidate for supervisor. In fact, in those days, I, Bill Kine used to be a Democrat. Oh, did he? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and he was a good friend of my brother's. And he, many of the days, my brother and he had some consultations. So I said, let me help you select the candidate. I had no ideas. I said, how do you do it? He said, well, here's the street list. Go over the street list. So I'm going over the street list, and I see Howard Walker. Piped out like a, a beacon. And I... There's our man, I thought. So I went up, and Howard and I used to go to Penn State. I used to hitch rides yeah. home from Penn State with him. And I went up to Howard. I said, Howard, we want to run you for supervisor. Oh, he said, I don't know. He said, let me consult with Margaret. So I consulted with Margaret, and he, he prayed on it and everything. So sure enough, he consulted, consented yeah. to run, and we ran him. And, of course, as soon as the petitions were in, I saw George Beck in the lines meeting. He said, Willie Ross, he said, you're the guy. He said, you're the guy. I said, no, I had nothing to do with it. Howard's got his own mind. You know, so. <laughs> but well, we went on. Howard won. Yeah. Over odds of six to one. And then two years later, I ran over the same odds. Uh -huh. uh, 
We had a great say, time. When you say odds, you, the registration you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. registration odds I mean, were against us. It was six to one. Six to one. Uh, I don't know what it is today, about two to one, somewhere, 1.9 yeah. to one. But anyway, uh, we, there we were, we had the township in, in our hands. Uh, we had no idea how we were going to run it. So we got a hold of the Pennsylvania Economy League. Howard Walker took a leave of absence from his job. Right. God bless him to this day with this township owes him a big debt. And he ran the township, and he, and uh, you know, he was like the uh, the the road supervisor. In those days, they were given a a, a pay for what they did, right. whatever it was called, and we were paid eight dollars a meeting. So uh, then, after after about two years, is when we we uh, had this uh, township manager ordinance. We drafted the township manager ordinance, and that's when we hired our first township manager. Well, there were three supervisors at that Three time. supervisors. Mm -hmm. Howard, myself, and George Beck. Mm -hmm. Then when uh, when George went off the board, Blaine Scott came on, and I served with George, with, with Blaine Scott and, and, and Howard. Mm -hmm. But I can, I can tell some stories about the, that old King of Prussia Inn. That was a real winner. When uh, when they when the when the when the, they came through and Mac was fighting them and everybody right. was fighting them, they they figured we'll fix you in the, in the highway department envelope the building right. right. So there I am a Democrat and I figured, hey Bill, why don't we circulate some petitions and see if we can't get uh, get up to Harrisburg the highway department and, and get this thing straightened out. So we circulated all these petitions and I go up to uh, Harrisburg to. Uh, to see uh, Governor Lawrence, myself, Abe Martin, who was the township engineer, Paul Flynn, who was the township manager, um, solicitor, I think, Danny Quinlan, and somebody else. We go up there and we hit there on the day that the Republicans are having their, their convention and they're going to name their presidential candidate that huh. very day. We're ushered into the outer office and Governor Lawrence is in, the, in his sanctuary there with the television blaring and uh, a guy by the name of Park Martin who was the Secretary of Highways at the time. He, uh, he ushered us into uh, to this room and he goes in and gets the governor. Brings the governor in and we're all sitting around a conference table. And he said, Governor, these are those people from King of Prussia. He said, oh, is this about that inn down there? And uh, Park Martin said, yes, Governor. He said, oh, well, Park, he said, you can handle that. He, he tapped the table, didn't even say, hey, goodbye, get lost, fly a kite, he left. <laughs> and there we were hanging. We talk about some of the, uh, the early people. Uh, can remember a story about uh, Mrs. de Gambatista. That, uh, that would be Tony's mother there on, uh, right on Valley Forge Road. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the one of the people up here, I don't know if it was Keebler or uh, I, I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was Howard Hampton. One of them had a fire, big fire, and barn burned down or something, and they tell a story about and, she, and and I got this right from her people, where where she went up there with thousands of dollars in a brown bag and handed it to him, and said whenever you can whenever you can uh, repay it you repay it. That's that's the way they trusted yeah, each other right. in those days. Who would do that yeah. today? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, isn't that nice? Uh, and it's just, uh, I don't know, it just staggers the imagination to see what's going on in this world. I'm hoping and praying that uh, that this situation gets straightened out over there. And, right. uh, but I've been glued to the television set and it's, I don't know how it's going to work out. Well, well, you were you were a supervisor for what year? From 57 to 63. Okay. Uh, 63, they started with the plaza. In that, That's right. That we, yeah, we were involved in that. Uh, they took us up to uh, the, the people who, uh, who, who started was Art Powell, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can recall one, one time when we had a supervisor meeting, and I was due to go away on a hunting trip. And I postponed my hunting trip for two days because we had a, a, a zoning hearing that, uh, that I wanted to get involved in. And, uh, and later on, I got thanked for that by, by Art Powell. You know, it, was, it was something that you did. You know, you just, you, you, if you took an interest in the office that you held, you, you took an interest. Sure. Later on, I served 25 years on the County Redevelopment Authority. Mm -hmm. Never got a thank you. Never got a letter of thank you. Never even, you know, 
just uh, was dismissed. I'd rather read about it in the papers. <laughs> These are the things that you have to live with. Yeah. I'm not overly upset about it, but it's just yeah. common courtesy that was never paid to me. Well, it was about 1963 that I came into the township. So mm -hmm. I can remember those early days with E.J. Corvettes, mm -hmm. and uh, they were just building Wanamaker's, mm -hmm. uh, where now the uh, Storbridge and Clothers is. Corvettes was the first one, and I can remember the night that we had the, uh, they had the grand uh, pre-opening pre where they took all the town fathers and school board and everybody, and they took us into this room, and they, they romanced us and gave us some hors d'oeuvres and what have you, and I can remember this one guy coming up to the man that was was uh, talking to us there, and I forget his name. And he showed him a fur coat. He said, look, he said, we just sold this $15,000 fur coat. In other words, they were trying to spur business by, yeah. by telling the local people, hey, we're going to do a lot of business in this town. And I can remember Art Powell, and I took him to a lines meeting one night, and we were talking about uh, uh, J.C. Penney was coming in. Right. And there were some guys in the club who questioning, you know, hey, you got Corvette, you got, what are you going to do? And, and his, this, the whole theory was there that, hey, it's uh, more or less the survival of the fittest. We don't, you know, we don't hinder this guy from coming in based on the fact that somebody's over here. Right. And it turns out that uh, it worked out that way. Yeah. J.C. Penney's, I don't know, they're still going yeah, strong. They're, going so, they're still going strong. <laughs> <laughs> and can I make a confession? Sure. My children and my wife laugh at me. I get lost in that plaza. Yeah, oh, so do I. <laughs> I sure, you know, when I do go shopping, up, I have to get, I have to, my wife has to continue you, here. Here's where this store is, here's where that one is. That's exactly what I do. I follow my wife around. <laughs> but that's, that's what it's all about. We, we have to live with our memories. We try, to, you know, try not to get too serious about things, otherwise you're going to crack up. I'll be 80 next, uh, next May. Uh -huh. And I thank God every day for giving me another day to live. I think right. what, that's what it's right. all about. I'm very active in my church, Our Lady of Mount Carmel down here in Bridgeport. Okay. Have you, have you always been active in the church? Always been, yep. Yeah. We have the famous uh, feast every year, La Grande Fest, which is the, the second weekend of July every year. We Thousands of people come yeah. down to visit yeah. us. And you're, yeah, I've you're often been there. You're invited to come down again. I've, I've often been there. I didn't make it this year, but I've often been there. <laughs> yeah, we had a great yeah. time. That's, that's yeah. our, one of my chief fundraisers. Uh -huh. It goes for three days. Right. Well, um, Bridgeport has a series of churches uh, that were sort of ethnically uh, oriented. Yeah. Yeah. They had, uh, our Lady of Mount Carmel was Italian parish. Right. Uh, uh, St. Augustine's was Irish. Mm -hmm. uh, Sacred Heart, a lot of Polish. Polish. And then uh, the Slovak Church, uh, which is uh, Mother of Sorrow. Mm -hmm. And then the one up on the hill, which was the Greek Orthodox right. or uh, right. Father Ron. But dude, it's, got its, it's got its share of churches. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember, of course, may his soul rest in peace when, when our mother of divine providence first started up here with Father McGlory. Right. He was a great guy. Well, I can remember that uh, a guy by the name of Fallhaber, who was the uh, was with Acme, mm -hmm. and that was one of the first stores, if I recall. Right. And then Howard and I, and all when they first start trying to stabilize the, the sinkholes and what have you, uh, that played a pretty prominent role in the development because they had to do all that stabilization. But I, I marvel at what they've done. They've done a great job. Yeah, where the court is now, I can recall there was a big sinkhole yeah. in there. Yeah. And uh, they've managed to uh, bridge that in some manner or fill and it up. Even though we've had our differences in politically, and, uh, the government in this township has been fabulous. I, I have no complaints. We've got good, we've, after Flynn left, we had Bob Gertis, who was a fabulous manager. Now we have Bob Gertis, who's doing a good job. I don't quarrel with the supervisor. I, I don't go to many meetings. Right. I just, I don't even watch uh, cable. I don't have cable. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm, in, I'm in a world of my own. <laughs> well, where are you living now? Tell us where that is. Oh, on 369 Ross Road. It's, okay. it's the road that goes from Henderson Road, uh, uh, Henderson down into uh, down into Bridgeport. So they essentially named the, the road after your family. Right? It was named, uh, it was on the county maps, believe it or not, way back to my grandfather's days. Oh. Way back in the early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. And, but this, this, uh, 
but the name change from Rossi to Ross came as a result of my father's association with Dr. I. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, having been a past president of the Sons of Italy, mm -hmm. there's times when I had to explain, hey, how do you end up with a, with a, <laughs> with a, with a, a rather a, a Jewish name, Ross? <laughs> I remember the famous boxer, Barney Ross, right, I right, remember. Sure. And, and, you know, you just have to explain it away. And, and I'd get, you know, hey, what, what's in the name? What's right. in the name? If I if I were to change all my documents back to Rossi now, I'd never make it to my 80th birthday. You know, all my documentation, high school diplomas, right. college diplomas, everything. Mm -hmm. Army records. Right. So here I am, you're stuck with me. <laughs> all right. So uh, have you been, what have you been doing? Uh, well, when did you give up your business? The, uh, Sold it in 93. Sold it in 93. Uh, I owned it for 20 years. We, we bought it in 72. Two mm -hmm. and sold it in the latter part of '93. Yeah, actually, I, I'm wrong. We sold it. That's right. We sold it the September of uh, September, and mm -hmm. then I worked for the man that I sold it to. Mm -hmm. Worked for him for nine months. Mm -hmm. Nine mm -hmm. months just to introduce him to all the customers. Right. A little transition. A little transition. Mm -hmm. He paid me a salary to do right. that. And, right. And uh, was it? Decent salary, you know, but, but then it came time to retire, and I retired. Okay. Well, you're not retired now. No, you're working. I did nothing for a whole year. I was retired. Mm -hmm. Then I got back into real estate with Continental, right. and then when Bobby Delaberno and Frank Murphy, mm -hmm. God bless that Frank Murphy, he knows everybody in this township. <laughs> they, when they took over the business, mm -hmm. then I joined them, uh -huh. and that's where we are now. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us a little bit uh, of your experiences as a, in the real estate business. I don't know. I never had. I never had anything too uh, too earth shaking in the real estate business. I'm I'm a lightweight in that real estate business. Uh -huh. I uh, I don't know. I guess uh, nothing really. Uh, I sold a few houses, but uh, nothing to uh, nothing that I can really lay my hands on and say here here was a momentous thing that happened to me in the real estate business. I can I can tell you a few funny stories about when I was a supervisor when I was in business. Uh -huh. I can remember the one time getting a phone call in the middle of the night, snowy night. It was really, and my second son was only about maybe 10 months old. Right. And the phone rang. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And it's Mrs. D lived on, uh, on Valley Forge Road. Well, she's deceased now. But, and, and she said to me, Mr. Ross, I voted for you. She said, there's a dog out there, he's barking something awful, and I wish you'd do something about it. I said, all right, all right. Yeah. I'm afraid the baby's gonna wake up. I said, okay, I'll take care of it. So I get on the phone and I called the desk, and who happened to be on was, was uh, Jack Dunley, who later on ended up being, uh, being uh, lieutenant of police, or in fact, they ended up being chief, if I recall. Okay. And, and, and he used to tease me, he used to call me chief. So he got on and said, yeah, chief, what's the matter? I said, well, there's this dog up on Valley Forge Road. I said, do something. Don't shoot it, but just take it off the market for, if you can. So I said, call me back. Let me know how you made out. So I said, I'm going to wait for your call. And I said, by the phone, I didn't want to wake up the baby there. So the phone rang, and he said, okay, keep it all taken care of. So, and, I, and I boiled the next day. I had my business up in Lansdale. And, then, and I lost sleep, and I'm tired. And, and I just boiled to think about what she did to me. So the next night... The next morning, I should say, I set my alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning, and I dialed her up. I said, Mrs. D, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, you know about that dog you called? She said, you said so. She slammed the receiver down, and I saw her in one of the grocery stores. I forget what it was. And she put her arms around me and said, Bill, she said, I deserved that. And I said, you sure did. And we remained friends all three years. Her husband was in the Lions Club with me. But he I, I, I've been tempted to do things, <laughs> things like that myself. <laughs> said about that dog you called me last night. <laughs> uh, another time we're at a meeting, and he had a tendency to, to have a few, you know, before the meeting. And we'd go out to dinner with Blaine Scott, myself, and him, and I forget who else. And uh, he had had a few, and we're having a very, very high... A sensible, me a, a sensitive meeting with the people down in DeKalb Terrace there because they used to get flooded out, right? 
So we had just come from one of these meetings. Paul had had a few under his belt. He, he was, you know, he was coherent, but he just wasn't being too, too diplomatic, I thought, when this person was asking these questions. So this person asked the question, and Paul fielded it, and kind of, I didn't think he did it in a fashion where he should have done it. So I leaned over a real quiet, and I said, Paul, for the rest of the meeting, don't you say a word. He looked at me. I said, that's right, don't say a word. So then he kept directing questions to him, and he wasn't answering, he was flicking them to me or to Howard or somebody. And to this day, nobody ever knows what, what happened, but I, I know what happened. <laughs> I said, don't say a word for the rest of the meeting. Don't say a word. But we had fun. That's good. We, uh, in the formative years, it was tough. And he yeah. did his job, and he was bull in the china shop. Yeah. But he moved on, and then Gerdes came in. And he was a lot more diplomatic, i got to say yeah. that. This has been great. <laughs> nice. I hope I've told, said something of, of import. I hope uh, we can. Well, we get, get we get more and more insight into yeah. into the, the daily happenings in daily here happenings. in King of Prussia. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I can tell tell you this story. I'm very wrapped up in my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I have one little girl, and I hope she doesn't see this yet until she grows up a little more. She wrote a, a note to the tooth fairy. Mm -hmm. On the note, it went. Dear Tooth Fairy, I have my tooth, but I don't have it now. It's up at my aunt's. Uh -huh. But would you please leave the money tonight because I'm broke? <laughs> I promise I'll bring you the tooth tomorrow. <laughs> She's trying to hit the Tooth Fairy for an advance on her uh, tooth. <laughs> her tooth. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's one of ten. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you, I can keep you here all day telling other stories about the other ones. Okay. Well, I want to thank you very much. My you. pleasure, Doctor. And, uh, My pleasure. And uh, you know, perhaps uh, sometime later, why we can uh, get together again and and, yeah. uh, and do some more reminiscing. But Good I really, again. really appreciate as your time th as we think of other things. All right. Great. Thanks again. My pleasure, Doctor. Okay. That's it for this edition of Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and your host for this series of Upper Marion Township's oral history. If you would like to make a suggestion or comment on this program, please use the following contact information. Thanks for watching. Until next time, and always, remember when.